impact, income, and influence. It's the three things that are most important to entrepreneurs today, and that's what this podcast is all about. If you're a coach, consultant, author, blogger, YouTuber, creator, or entrepreneur who believes what they do can change the world, this podcast is dedicated to you. I'm Steve Warner, and welcome to Impact, Income, and Influence. Welcome back to Grow Your Impact, Income, and Influence, the number one shows for entrepreneurs looking to scale their business online. I'm your host, Steve Warner, and today I'm with Brian Rowland. Brian was the CEO of what is an Inc. 5000 company for six years. And in order to scale, he actually had to step down uh, Abenity, which provides corporate perks and benefits for major companies. He's been scaling, been growing. He saw that he was the bottleneck in his business. He knew he had to make some changes. He's going to talk to us today about how you don't have to exit as the CEO. You can still be involved with what you know and love about your business. He's going to show us some of the tips and tricks to know when. Kind of walk us through that journey. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. Good intro. I appreciate that very much. No problem. It's always- it's always great to have people announce you're uh, being let go from your own company. <laughs> well, so I want to know what that looks like. Cause I've, I mean, I remember like Tim Ferriss talking about in the four hour work week, right? How he was the bottleneck, but I don't think very many entrepreneurs, at least not very many that I've talked to in our, you know, hundred plus episodes have realized like I need to step down. Instead they, they go to a spiritual retreat or, you know, they have an, an out-of-body experience or they hire a consultant. How did, how did things go? Like, how did you end up realizing you had to hire a CEO and yeah. like, a C-suite team? Great, great question. Yes. A lot more practical than an out-of-body experience for sure. The, uh, <laughs> so as kind of the constant entrepreneur, you know, we, um, I founded the business in 2006 with my brother, Mark, and, um, we, we really bootstrapped it to about a $10 million business right before, um, right before making this change. And really, as we are looking at the pattern of things every year and a half from the starting the business, you know, I'd, I'd have a new big idea and that would turn into a new product line, a new revenue center. Um, it would kind of catapult us to the next thing. And really rewind back to 2006. This is before, you know, we're a SaaS platform. Um, We help companies offer uh, corporate perks and discounts to their people as a benefit. And, um, you know, in 2006, developing a SaaS platform was a lot more simple. It was not a mobile responsive product, um, meaning you're really just working with one code base. When, When you're developing a mobile responsive site, I mean, you're, you're developing multiple iterations of the same thing. It's, it's a lot heavier build. And so we, we were fast and we worked really fast together. And so we just got in this rhythm where we're always cranking out something new. And about six years into it, we started to slow down. And about eight years into it, you know, we're trumpsing through the mud. And we kind of hit this point where my next big idea, we were saying, hey, you know, we can't handle this internally. We've got the money. We're doing well. We got the money, but we can't handle it internally. So um, why don't you go hire an offshore team 
and develop it over there. Let's not roll it into our existing business because it's going to get confusing. So let's create a new brand name, a new thing. And that basically turned my head from our current business that was working and over to the new business for a period of three years, which really put that business on autopilot. And there was enough momentum that we made it through those three years, but we really started leveling out at the end of that three years, right as the new business was getting hard. And uh, we had we had some tough decisions to make and, and um, the challenges of 2020 didn't make any of that any easier. So talk, did you, so it sounds like you didn't exit the old business because you knew you were a bottleneck. You just knew it was going to be a better move and it was going to make more sense. It was going to be easier and cleaner to start the other business as a completely different entity. Is that correct? Well, no, I, no, I'd say um, it was the pursuit. Uh, it was kind of the natural progressions of, of chasing the, chasing the ideas that this final, the, the progression led to the business was scaling, scaling, scaling to the point where the business couldn't take more ideas, mm-hmm. but there, there was enough momentum from the business to launch it over here. Well, what that did was it really exposed what was, what was going on um, inside Abenity, which was really working out well. And so um, it, with my attention diverted to the new business, Mm-hmm. Abenity's processes and things went were, were doing great, but but they but we hit a point where we our growth was not accelerating the way we were used to, and that's simply because we we were using up a lot of our a lot of our natural momentum was being used up, and um, it we hadn't created a cycle of predictable revenue in a lot of areas yet for the business, so we weren't we didn't know which buttons to push to fire up the existing revenue channels to, to keep them growing. And my focus was elsewhere so that that just wasn't happening. So, so the new business just exposed that, hey, without Brian in there, things are starting to level off. And with Brian over here, um, you know, we're, we're really creating a new monster. So it, it became clear in 2020 that the new monster just um, didn't have the lift that we, we wanted it to to support it. So we shut it down, which redirected my attention back to Abenity, which is where it became clear that me bringing new ideas to a business that has a lot already going for it is just not helpful. And the steps of accountability that the business was ready for were not areas that gave me a lot of energy. And so this is what ultimately led to the decision point, which is like, well, you know, the business is asking for, um, more policies. They're, they're asking for new insurance policies. They're asking for predictable schedules or for crying out loud, they're asking for an agenda to our all team huddle. And we're, we're a fully remote team. So everybody has been zooming in since that was possible. We started doing that in 2006. And, and so, you know, I didn't bring an agenda to the all team meeting you know, we just round robined it and it worked out great. And we hit a point where they're asking for an agenda um, they're asking for, they're looking at compliance and they're, they're looking for third-party perspectives and audits and, um, you know, assessments. And we've got to beef up these handbooks because of so-and-so state says so. And uh, I mean, I had people asking for performance reviews and all these things are not in my entrepreneurial, um, heart. <laughs> they're not something that I'm, I'm looking to lean into. 
I'm like, hey, I want to look six months ahead. I want to look 12 months ahead. I want to build awesome strategic partnerships. I want to take this beautiful thing that we built and see how far we can we can get it out there. And um, that's that's not what the team needed. So it became clear. It was like, look, I can't wear the CEO title if I'm not willing to do half the stuff that the CEO is needing to do. And the other stuff that really is more of a president kind of head of ops role. So this is the decision point that we said, Hey, let's, let's give Brian, let's give Brian a break. Let's, let's let him debrief from the last 13 years. Um, the business is doing awesome. Um, let's keep Brian thinking six months ahead. Um, keep driving the product direction. That's something I do pretty well, pretty naturally. Um, being here since day one, it's something that just comes real easy for me. Mm-hmm. And um, let's put somebody in charge of revenue growth for our existing channels. Um, and, and really, honestly, once, once something's working, I'm ready to try something new. I'm not ready to see how I can make it work more. And so let's for our existing channels. So we put our CEO in charge of revenue and partnerships. And then we uh, promoted our COO to president and COO and put them over all things people and operations. And that has, we've been doing that for, um, gosh, a a good while now. That was a year before um, the March, that was February, 2020. So, you know, their first assignment was to navigate a global pandemic and uh, good luck. (laughs) So first off, my hat is off to you for having the, the internal, like, I don't know what the right word is to put your ego aside and to like not, because I think I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs, they reach a certain level and they know they should pull themselves out. Right. But instead they refuse to do it. So first off, my hat's off to you for that. I mean, it obviously has helped you grow your business. I would love to, how did that conversation start to come about? Because you went from, you shut down the other business that you'd started, you come back in entrepreneurs. What do we do? We we're visionaries. We have ideas. We have things that we want to do. And like, we, we hate structure, right? Like, right. so what you came back into the business and was it a conversation that a couple employees pulled you aside and had, was it something your brother talked to you about? How did, how did that start to come about and how did, how did that unfold? Cause I could see that being yep. really difficult. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I like the way you put it and the analogy I, that I, I reference is, um, you know, it's like, it's like this falcon that um, dives into the lake and catches a fish that's way too big for it to get back out, out of the water with. And instead of letting go of the fish um, and, and saving its own life, it, it just holds on to the fish because it's like, I can do this. And the fish pulls it down until it, it drowns. And that, that's ultimately the, what entrepreneurs who aren't equipped to do all these aspects at once. And there's some that are, um, that's the choice they're making. They're like, I'm going to hold on no matter what. And if it goes down, at least it, I go down with it kind of mentality. And that just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but a, a lot of people can't see that that's what's happening. So to, to kind of answer your question, um, rewind to uh, around about the time that I started working on kind of the new brand, the new startup, uh, you know, Brian, you go work on this idea over here. We'll keep doing what's working over here. Mm-hmm. I, I appointed um, a VP of, of strategy and he was, a, he's an entrepreneur I'd worked with 
um, for a while before he was actually in the peer group with me, um, that I'm in. And, um, and I, I said, Hey, I, I really need somebody to go through these revenue channels and to improve them. Um, and, and at that point, um, and this is about three years prior, the, the goal was really for him to go through all four of those revenue channels incrementally, um, build them all up to the point where he was running the business as CEO. And so that that's exactly what happened. And so there was a lot of strategic foresight that went into that. Um, the only thing I could credit it to is that I just enjoy living in the future. Um, I like thinking forward. Um, I, I know where I like to be and where I don't like to be. And I'm, I'm okay with that. And I'm not somebody that feels like they have to be in control. Um, I like to be in, I like to be a big part of the creative and the directive and uh, direction and the experience. Um, but I don't have this need to be in control of the people. And so really the, the big moment for us was in our annual uh, executive retreat. We're up in Flagstaff. We're all sitting around the cabin um, and we're kind of talking and it's in the, um, it's pre 20, it's 2019. It's October, 2019. And the new startup is hard. It's just not working out um, as well as, as I liked. And we had built it on um, a foundation that, um, was getting turbulent and, um, I was just not happy. And, um, but, but I really wanted it to work because it was what I had invested the last two years on. And I was like, I don't want to let you guys down by just letting go of this thing. We've invested far too much in it. Um, now everybody else is thinking, Hey, you know, your little baby's getting pretty ugly and we don't have the resources to support it. Um, and without dragging, a Benedict team members into it. And that's what was happening. And so really it was a moment where they just released me. They said, look, we, we don't need that. It's a great idea. It could totally fly, but we don't need it. And what we need more than anything is for you, Brian, to be healthy and, and happy and you're not right now. And so they just kind of released me from that. And, and then they, everybody just stepped back and was like, what, let's, let's realign. Let's get everybody healthy. Where is everybody the most healthy? And so it became clear that, that we were at that kind of, we we're at that point where it's like, well, for everybody to be healthy, it's like, we really need Brian leading vision and, and product direction and story. Um, and, and thinking through what that looks like. Um, but the business doesn't really need him to, to even grow or go. Um, and, and so it, this is a good opportunity to put new leadership in place and um, pour gas on the fire in, in a way that we haven't invested in before. And so that's where, where we, we said, hey, Brian, let's get you in the founder role. Why don't you spend some time debriefing what's worked for us? Um, let's, let's see what ideas you have from the sideline. Um, and, um, and then we, we put Travis on my team in, in charge as CEO driving revenue and Jeff on my team in charge of driving operations as president and COO. And uh, it's, it's been a beautiful thing ever since. And uh, for the first time, I feel like I just have one job in 13 years and I, it's, it's been great. So we'll come back to the one job because I definitely want to hear about that. But I think what, what the, 
entrepreneur in me and what I think I can hear some of the past voices saying are like, no one's going to do it as good as I do it. Um, they're not going to make the right decisions there. And that, at the same time, the other half is like, yes, I have to let this go. But right. I think it comes down to, I mean, the solopreneur that starts to build a team and gets to five employees and realizes yeah. like the best thing I can do is hire somebody smarter than myself in that area. Yeah. So you, yeah. you had a slow transition because you, you did kind of appoint somebody before you went over and worked on the side project coming back. What I'd like to ask, cause you, you took people off of your team. They obviously um, they've been with Abenity for a while. How did you, how did you keep your hands out of the pudding? How did you yep. like manage that internally? And how yep. is it like, how is it working with the team? Because you obviously you came up with these people. Uh, was there a big learning process? Was it pretty simple? Did you have yeah. an internal trick meditation? I don't know. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think once I, once I came to terms with the idea, I, I mean, like a lot of things, I, I started looking for third party validation. Like, is, is there enough reason for me to believe that I can step away, that the momentum won't slow down, that the ideas won't stop, that better ideas won't come along, that revenue will continue to grow, that me giving up profitability by increasing expensive with new leadership is actually driving greater wealth for, for my family in the long run all these things. And, and, and I kind of, I came across this article, um, an entrepreneur was called the five stages of your business life cycle. And, um, you can find it in my entrepreneurs is it time for you to resign article on my website, um, which is brianroland.com. Um, and it, and it really talked about the five stages of a business life cycle. And I could see every one of those stages. Um, and the first stage is seed and development. Um, and, you know, we bootstrapped, we were privately funded. Um, and so we, you know, we were hunkered down during that phase. And if you're, if you're getting outside funding, there's more to that phase. Um, but then you go through kind of stage two, which is the startup phase. And then stage three, which is the growth and establishment phase. And then stage four is expansion. And we lived... I, I loved uh, stage two and three, startup growth and expansion. Like that's the hustle, keep it going, immediate gratification, pick up the phone, get, you know, get a yes eventually and, you know, cut a, send out an invoice and repeat. And like, I love that. And I kept doing that and doing that. But while I was doing that startup kind of growth and establishment phase, the business, all the underlying things that we had built were merging into expansion and the expansion was getting the found, it was laying a bigger and bigger foundation and, mm -hmm. and um, to the, and that foundation was maturing to the point where my ideas coming in kind of sharp, like a, like that hawk diving into the water to grab something like my precision was not calibrated well anymore because uh, the foundation had moved. It, it had expanded. And so that's really where I felt the disconnect. And I was like, Oh, I mean, I started running up to into real life situations where people from the team are coming up and asking me, what do you think about this? And I tell them what I think with my quick, like entrepreneurial, I got this. And they say, well, what about this? And I was like, oh, what is that? Well, this customer for the last six months has been blah, blah, blah. I was like, I really, I had no idea. What are we doing about that? Well, we've been doing this, that, and the other. I was like, oh, oh, oh well, that's really smart. 
Um, and I've kept finding myself getting to the place where I'd walk through and be like, oh, well, what do you think we should do? Well, I was thinking we should do, I was like, that's exactly what we should do. I was like, I didn't know all that. I was like, go do it. That kept happening. And so it was just this awareness that my calibration wasn't really in sync that well anymore. I was still a good kind of hunter killer kind of go out there and get it. But um, the calibration was off and really the business was, was begging to enter stage five, which is maturity and possible exit. And um, that required a level of leadership and accountability um, and operations interests and focus and investments that just weren't that exciting for me. And so for us, but, but necessary. And so for, uh, I really had, the choice to do something I didn't want to do um, or to let somebody else who's better equipped for it to do it. And, you know, it turns out that a lot of people, the, a lot of the things that I like make my skin crawl that I just don't want to go near. Like I was shocked. There are other people that like those things. <laughs> and so, so I started letting those other people do those things and uh, finding other people who are excited about those things. And, as I slowly backed away, um, I've, I found our, our business in a, a healthier, better place than it was originally. And I found myself resigning as CEO, which was the best thing for the business. And, and kind of to your question, I, I, I'm still the cheerleader on the sidelines for the team. I'm, I'm still at most of the all team calls, checking in, getting an idea of what's going on. And um, we talked a little bit um, in the pre-show about our social mission. And one of the milestones we just reached was giving over a million dollars to the projects that we support. And, and that's something that I'm still very involved in as kind of the founder and the distributor of kind of our profits and those sorts of things. And so that has helped maintain this relationship where the team's running and going and has a lot of direction. They have a lot of structure that they were all looking for now. And there's still a really healthy relationship for me to participate in that without now, without getting in other people's way. That's awesome. Um, we'll talk a little bit. I do want to talk about your, your mission. Cause I mean, you, the mission with where you're giving money is to eradicate extreme poverty, which I mean, what a better mission. Like that's, I, I don't know of any better mission in the world than that. Um, that's pretty powerful. The, I think what I want to highlight in that journey, like a lot of entrepreneurs would have reached the place and they would have said, like, I've seen, I've seen this happen. Like, even though I am no longer happy, I have to do this because this is my business and my identity is so tied up with being the business. You still are the business. Like you found a way to stay in the business and not not give that up, but to get yourself out of the way. Um, one of the questions that I want to ask, I don't, I, we didn't talk about, but I would love to hear your answer. Cause I think some people at that point would have just exited. They would have said, you know what? I'm selling it. I'm going to take, take the money. I'm going to go do something else somewhere else. Yep. Why, why not exit? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, as I'm, I'm 40 um, and uh, I've got young kids. We adopted our oldest from Ukraine when she was 12. Um, I've, got, I've got a good runway in my career left. Um, I've learned that I like to start things. 
Um, and so exiting would be a, sh a short term, uh, would, would be a, I feel like it would be an immature decision. Uh, and the fact that it, it creates a short term, it's a short term play, um, that would lead me to, um, start something new. Um, and, and building a better mousetrap is not really a wise idea right now. We've, we've, we've got a really great business. Um, that has a, has a lot of, a lot of potential, a lot of future potential, a lot of future value. Um, also with our social mission, you know, I, um, I, I started Abenity in 2006, really in this pursuit of more meaningful work. Um, you know, I, I, I was straight out of college. I was making six figures as a sales guy selling phones, um, pretty quickly and, um, making more money than my dad ever did. And, um, you know, not married, no kids. Like I, I didn't, I didn't partake. Money was never a goal for me. Um, and it wasn't, uh, on my, it wasn't my measuring stick. It's, it was just a tool to be used. And so, um, it, it came down to impact and where, where can I, and how can I make the biggest impact? And so we started our social mission really in pursuit of this idea that, that I wanted to have a business that had an output um, towards our cause for every input into the business. Um, I wanted our output to the cause to infinitely scale, just like the potential that our revenue had to infinitely scale. Um, and so my measuring stick has always been what allows us to have the biggest impact. And um, when the business grows to the point where our exit allows us to have a bigger impact towards our charitable efforts than what we can do on, on an annual basis. Um, then we'll start getting to a place where an exit conversation makes more sense. Um, but we're, we just crossed our first million towards, uh, of, of giving, um, towards, uh, extreme poverty. And, um, you know, there's a 10, a 10 year runway to, that the United Nations has as a goal to get everybody there. And, when we talk about extreme poverty, we're talking about the 300 to 500 million people in the world that are still walking five miles every day to find dirty water that's drinkable and, and then walking it back. I mean, these are the people who, whose kids are getting water for the family instead of going to school to get an education. Um, the, the cycle to break poverty starts a lot with, with clean, clean water, with extreme poverty. And so, um, we picked World Vision because they work in many countries around the world um, in extreme poverty. They, they also serve the United States um, in a lot of disaster recovery efforts and um, inner city poverty that's not as extreme, but still very important. And so um, th that's still at the heart of what we do. We've built a culture at our, um, inside our, our team that really rallies around that um, And one thing I just finished out uh, working finished working on, um, that your listeners might be into. I feel like every business needs to support some kind of cause that's bigger than their brand. Um, and, and this is just a part of our DNA at Abenity. But 2020 was a good case study in this, um, interestingly, because um, everyone um, at some level became um, an impact-driven brand in in. 2020. Uh, the 
it was just a reverse model. It was a negative impact that was influencing businesses as opposed to businesses influence uh, making an impact positively for a cause. But in either case, it requires the team to rally around something and fight for or against something that's bigger than their brand. And and, and this pursuit of this higher calling in, at work um, is what allowed these big companies to go fully remote and have a dialed in team that was still missional and on track because they were fighting against something bigger than themselves. Um, when you're fighting for something bigger than yourself in business, you're building a community uh, around your brand that allows you to navigate the ups and downs um, much better when, when you're impacted by something. And all of us in business are going to be impacted. Um, so, so I built an impact plan. It's a one-page template. It's a free download. But it really guides entrepreneurs with, hey, here are the five things you need to define to take your impact to the next level, to give your team something to rally around. You know, Decide, are we going to keep this a private impact for our owners and our investors? Are we going to include our employees in it? Are we going to tell our... Um, tell our customers about it. And, and then it really gets into, you know, building this social mission for your brand. And, um, but one of the things I was most surprised by looking back at it all is um, one of the big, uh, one of the most unexpected perks of kind of this social mission for us was a competitive advantage um, with, without realizing it, the social mission that we were doing, that we were including at the end of our sales uh, presentations that we were, uh, doing annual updates about with our existing clients. Um, it's actually what our customers connected most to. And it set us apart in our industry in a way that we never could have with our product or our services alone. And so it's something I've got gotten pretty excited about. And I'll, I'll give your listeners a phone number at the end. They can text to get the impact report emailed to them. Yeah, that would be, you can drop it right now if you want. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, great. Uh, yeah, to just text, uh, this goes to me, text the word impact to area code 615-802-6853. And um, you'll get a link to my community page where you can join and you'll get a direct link back right away um, with a PDF version of the impact report that you can personalize and, and make your own. Awesome. Um, there are a couple, Brian, you've shared like, you shared a wealth and like kind of the the inside workings of your brain going through this and how, <laughs> how this worked for you. Um, I have a couple questions I want to ask. First off, I think immediate gratification drives a lot of entrepreneurs, right? Like we are, we want like, we're like, we see something, we plan, and then we want like right now, right? Like you were, we were talking in the pre-show, like we don't, we don't work with agendas. We don't have a lot of schedules. We don't have a lot of anything. And we don't really need deadlines because we're like, we want to do something, we go do it and we'll work 20 hours a day on it till it's done. Whereas employees have a completely different mindset. So how do you, I think one of the things that drives entrepreneurs is having that immediate gratification. So when you stepped out of the CEO role, I think it probably, if I read between the lines correctly, it got the stuff off your plate that was a huge pain in the ass, right? Having to come up with schedules and like handbooks and all that stuff. What did you find that keeps the immediate gratification going for you? Like, are you, yeah. are you just working on forward thinking like strategic partners? What are you working on that gives you the immediate gratification? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that's a, a big part of the struggle of um, this transition for me personally. Um, I think it's a big fear on the other side of um, a business exit that I've seen is, um, you know, these 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 entrepreneurs that have led teams of hundreds of people, you know, moving hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of value or just actual money um, around and they sell their business and overnight they're jobless. <laughs> and sounds, sounds great to most people, but to us, that's like, what do I do? It's, it's terrifying, especially when you've looked it right in the eye and you've been like every relationship that I had a form of authority in, I'm giving up. Um, and, um, that's, a, that's number one, it's, uh, it's an unhealthy place. It's a scary place. And, um, there's, I mean, I, there's a lot online, um, about entrepreneurs that really go through this kind of post-exit depression. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've felt a tiny form of that by just removing myself from the visibility of so much, um, and uh, so to, it's a it's a very wise question. Um, something I'm navigating myself. Um, I'm putting a lot of that into my writing. Um, honestly, these podcasts that I'm doing, a lot of my motivation for doing these podcasts is debriefing the last decade, and and um, and these are areas that allow me to stretch into something new that that I haven't done before in my professional career. Um, but they still provide that kind of real-time entrepreneurial vibe and that connecting. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I still participate um, every other month with, we call it the betting table with our team internally, where we're, take, we're, we're all placing our bets on what to develop next for the product. Um, and I'm usually representing uh, one of those projects and Um, you know, if it has anything, if it touches vision or culture, I'm involved in some way, uh, right now at least. And, and that's, that's been a good thing. That's good. Cause I mean, you definitely entrepreneurs, everyone without a doubt is visionary. Like that's what defines, I don't know if you read, uh, like rocket fuel, um, like the visionary and the, the strategic, I haven't read that one. I'll check that out. It, it basically cuts like for every visionary the first person they need to hire is the person that is the strategic, like loves spreadsheets, loves to like dial in the details and like basically be our, our counterpart, right? Like we can see the vision, we can plan, we can talk about it, we can sell people on it, but then we need somebody that does the like nitty gritty, the stuff that wears us out, building the handbooks, right? (laughs) Yeah. The schedules, all of you had me in handbook. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, I know when we were talking in the pre-show, you said Scaling Up was probably the, the number one book that you would recommend. Just walk, why, why would you recommend Scaling Up and what did it do for you? Um, I always like to pull out book recommendations. Yeah, that's, a, that's great. Um, I, yeah, I had the opportunity to get to know the author a, a long time ago now, um, Vern Harnish. And, um, you know... Um, he, his first iteration of that book was um, was called The Rockefeller Habits, um, and then he republished it under Scaling Up. And, uh, you know, for me, it's it's a blueprint for, uh, 
you know, the nuts and bolts of what's necessary to scale up your business. Um, and, and, and it's really just, it's practical. It's to the point and uh, it, it helps you, helps you focus on what's most important and it sparks, it sparks ideas along, along the way. Um, but it's very tactical. Uh, you know, I enjoy learning from resources that are extremely tactical and to the point. Um, if it, if it gets too out there or too, um, too hard to apply, then it's just, yeah, it's just kind of like, like, I don't, you know, give me, give me something tactical. <laughs> Got it. Well, with that leads really well, Brian, into, I think the last kind of question segment of this, if, if an entrepreneur is listening to this and they're like, you know what, I, I know I'm the bottleneck and I've been having a hard time giving it up, but this, this conversation has kind of made me realize that maybe I should hire a CEO. Maybe I should retain my visionary status and find somebody to run the day to day. What is one piece of advice that either you could go back in time five years and give yourself or something even that you've learned in the last year? Uh, working kind of in the situation, what is something that you, what is the advice that you would give an entrepreneur that's looking to step out a little bit, but doesn't necessarily want to exit? Cause I think, I think you did it right in not exiting and still being involved in the business because you maintained your sanity that way. I've seen so many, like you talked about right. entrepreneurs that leave and they're depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a pivotal moment that any successful business has to, has to face down. Um, and, and look, I've seen the opposite. I've, I've seen entrepreneurs who built an awesome lifestyle business for themselves and the business was running itself and they were pulled back and then they sold 60% of their stake to a private equity firm. And that private equity firm demand, demanded accountability, pulling them back in um, just for the vanity of being able to show that the founder is still involved. Um, and, and that sounds like a scary place for me to be. And it's one reason we've resisted um, outside accountability when it comes to funding is, is because it's important to us to ha have the integrity to make the decisions that we feel like is right for us directly. Mm -hmm. um, I think so much of the entrepreneur entrepreneurial journey for me was uh, day by day, step by step, like you know, a lamp unto my feet. Like I could only see what was right there. Um, everything else I was waiting for it to review, be revealed or uh, for it to come. And, and so, <laughs> I mean, it, it took me, it took me 13 years to have the awareness to go back to my business degree and remember there's a life cycle and your beautiful baby grows up and it turns on you and it starts talking back and it starts, it starts demanding things that you may not get energy from. And so really this awareness that this friction that was starting to happen was just a natu natural progression and to, and to lean into it in a healthy and mature way, um, which is basically to foster it and care for it and lead it and develop it. And that doesn't mean you have to do it yourself. And I, I think entrepreneurs are, uh, I really think the Jeff Bezos, the Elon Musks, these, you know, these zero to everything entrepreneurs are, are painting an unrealistic expectation of the entrepreneurial life because 
we forget how many resources they have behind them so that they can maintain that CEO title and that main, that CEO role at the top while infinitely building out their executive structure and their management, their management line and their downstream of uh, is, is built out so deeply because they have the resources to do that. When, when you're running a lean startup and you're growing and you're, and you're scaling up with privately without outside involvement, um, You've got the most flexibility that you possibly could have because um, you don't have these outside ties. But you can't you can't compare yourself to the entrepreneur that stayed in the CEO role all the way to the very top and then, you know, exited and flew to space. Uh, like <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean, like a, <laughs> right? Or send a car into space just because they could, or just because, yeah. <laughs> No, I think this will, we'll, we'll know by the time this goes live, but I think Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos are both going to space in the next two weeks. So it's their inaugural trips, right? That's what they're saying. Um, I mean, the, <laughs> I, I think you point that out really well and like just not comparing yourself to others in the space, like learn from them, but don't compare yourself to them, especially and anyone who tries to compare themselves to, you know, Virgin, Amazon, Tesla, like any of those, like, sure. But they're, they're like the top echelon, like 0.001%. And that's just a recipe for comparing yourself to anyone else ever is a recipe for, for hatred and not, and it's not a, a different good ball game. Yeah. yeah. It's not even, it's not even apples to apples. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game for sure. Um, I do think it's interesting on a side note, I guess um, I just saw like Jeff Bezos step down. Um, yeah. He, but he's kind of doing the same thing that you are. He's going to be involved. He read my article. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, I do think, I mean, the, the takeaway for me in this is I think some people, some entrepreneurs, and I don't think they're true entrepreneurs, they start with the exit in mind. They, they want the exit in two to five years. They want to bank 5 million, 10 million, whatever. And then like, I want to do something else. And you, my takeaway from this was you said, you know, that seemed like an immature decision. It seems much more mature. This is our baby. We build it. I know everything about it. I can still be involved, but I can let it grow on its own, but I can still be involved. And you compared it to parenting, which I don't have children, but I can imagine it would be the same thing. It reached its, its teenage years. It did some, some back talk. It did some, you know, it was the rebel a little bit and you can still be involved and you can be really proud of it and you can continue to grow it and still like get personal worth from it. And I think that leads yeah. you to a happier place ultimately, because I've, I've had entrepreneurs on the show who sold and now they're, you know, they're floating a little bit and they're like, what am I going to do? Right. Oh, I'm going to do this. So oh, I'm going to do that. It's not the same. So right. I want to say thank you for sharing so much. Well, you're welcome. And, and I think the real measuring stick here is impact. I mean, for me, um, building, building your work, on, on something meaningful um, is what will sustain you through your life and, and continue to motivate you to keep going. And so uh, when it comes to the exit and the exit conversation, it's um, if your goal is impact, then the question is simply what allows for the greatest impact? Does exiting the business right now propel the impact to a new level that we can continue to pursue through a new foundation or 
um, a more direct nonprofit that we started or do on our own or a way that we, we fuel other um, nonprofits at a level we never could before, or does, does the impact we're making day by day through our business to our customers with our employees, is that more meaningful than the exit where you leave all those things behind and maybe you're left with a pile of money, but nobody to do much with, right. with, with it. That's, I mean, that is the question. Um, Brian, I want to say like, I just, I want to thank you for sharing so much. Um, I love the impact driven. I mean, I think every entrepreneur I know has some of that. And I love the fact that you, you put that front and center. Um, I want to give you a chance one more time. What was the phone number if people want to get? Yeah. And I, and so I, I set up a platform on community so that I could text back and forth directly with entrepreneurs and, um, you know, I want to have a more personal approach with that. That's not subjecting you to ads or algorithms from other people. So um, you can text me. My, my number is area code 615-802-6853. Just text impact and that'll get you the impact report and it'll allow us to start a conversation directly. Um, also, we built Abenity. Um, we, we opened up a small business perks platform for companies with less than 150 employees. So they're getting the same corporate discounts we offer to the big boys for these little companies. And uh, we'll give you your first month free if you use the coupon code GROWTH150. You can do that at Abenity.com. And we'd love to continue the conversation in, in one of those two ways. Awesome. Those will all be linked in the show notes. If you're listening, make sure you go text him on community. Um, also go check out Benedy. If you have a company that has under 150 employees and you want to offer benefits, that is awesome. Um, Brian, thanks again to everybody else until next time, take action, change lives, make money, and we'll see you soon. Nothing has the ability to grow your business more than a powerful one-to-many sales presentation. If you're looking to scale your business, get your message out to more people, and close more sales in an easy and straightforward manner, head over to deathtobadwebinars.com and grab your free course today. Thanks for tuning into the show, and we'll see you next time.